every world became a garden, and forever guarded there was a shepherd, and for all the shepherds, a greater purpose. Open this world to the winding path, light the way where I wish to roam, across the seas of infinity for this weary traveler far from home. This is The Lost Tribe. Welcome back to The Lost Tribe, Sins of the Father. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivy. This week we'll be reading from chapters 23 and 24. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow it and subscribe to help me keep bringing this story to you. Thank you, and let's begin. Chapter 23 I've always wondered what heaven would be like. I thought it would be like all the pictures from the ministries back home. The priests would come around every Sunday to harass my mother and father. There would be all these images of heaven, clouds, and bright golden rays of sunlight, and angels singing the praises of the Creator with books of prayer in their hands. I imagined there would be a feeling of peace, maybe even a sense of belonging that would last forever. Little did I know that the Creator of everything was a cheating, lying control freak with little patience or sympathy for his creations. I appeared in a giant chamber that had been described to me by Apostles when he told me of Father's betrayal of Benal. I was on the floor of the palace in front of the dais on my knees. Beside me, Casey, Henry, and Takum lay, breathing, but not awake. There was a throne made of gold and crystal in the middle, through which green arcs of power surged and waned. At the top of the throne was a great lion's head with a crystalline globe in between its jaws. All the power seemed to flow to it. The globe shone brightly, illuminating a dais that flowed in steps down to the marble palace floor. The chamber had great arches for doorways to the towers that the shepherds used to watch over their assigned worlds built from smooth white marble blocks that had never tarnished or cracked. The curves from the archways continued, overlapping and crisscrossing each other until they formed a vaulted ceiling. In the middle of the ceiling there was a twenty-foot dome made of some kind of crystalline material that absorbed the radius of the throne. It glowed with power. Through it I could see the shining stars of the real universe, beyond Father's experiment. Upon the throne, Father sat. He was very different than when I met him before. The good-natured, wise-and old man was gone. He was broad-shouldered, thick through the chest, and evenly toned with muscle. He was clothed in simple white robes and a golden breastplate over chainmail. His skin was weathered as if he had stood on a mountain for a century, almost gray in tone. His hair was a long, flowing mane of white that rested on his shoulders. Father's eyes were a pair of emerald jewels, shining with the same ebb and flow that ran through the throne. They seemed linked somehow. Something was very wrong. I felt strange as if something was missing. He's not here, Mick, whispered Lyconis. What have you done? This is none of my doing. If you are wondering where your friend has gone, look no further than at my feet, Mother said. In front of him on the dais was Sibelius, standing over a prone form that stirred slightly, but did not rise. I recognized him immediately. What have you done? Your savagery against Noxos has necessitated my retrieval from Ostos along with his restoration to physical form. If you will cast your gaze behind yourself, you will see the other consequence of your acts against me. I glanced over my shoulder. Along the curve of one doorway, manacled at both ends and feet, and hung from hooks on the frame, were Jack, Felker, and Otomo. They were gagged as well and were glaring at me as if I was to blame. Flagging the doorway were Julia and Nicholas. They stood at attention, showing no concern for their former comrades. 
The only one I cared about was Otomo. Why was he shackled with them? Why am I not locked up? I was the reason for him being there. Father rose and stepped down from the throne. I need you, Mick. I do not need them. I walked up to him. Sibelius moved up to join Father as I moved closer. They were very nervous up here, considering that Father was as close to being God as anything was. Father looked up at the crystal dome above us, out at the stars. I noticed you looking up at the stars out there, Mick. Look again, and tell me what you see. I looked up, and then looked back at him. Is this some kind of a test? I really don't... I Look again. I looked up again. The stars shone back at me through the dome that pulsed with green light from the throne. Each one was twinkling and... disappearing. It was unmistakable. Like a slowly moving wave swallowing up the stars as it moved in an arc across space. But some stars reappeared, as if something large was moving across them, blocking their light as it passed by. An eclipse? You see it, do you not? It struck me with an uncontrollable sense of fear and powerlessness. That was the power behind Manon. The dark sphere? I see it, yes. Then you know of the sphere and its power. I looked past Father and Sibelius to watch as a withered-looking man in white robes walked out from behind the throne, carrying a staff that sparked and glowed with energy. His hair was iron gray, and much of it was missing from the right side of his head. Deep scars marked the right side of his face, and his eye was gnarled over with scar tissue. His one open eye was a droplet of quicksilver suspended in darkness, and it fixed me with an unflinching gaze. But of course, I should expect no less from Benon's favorite lapdog. Pentalus. I thought he was dead. Apparently not. I only know what Lyconis has told me of it. My corruption was not voluntary, as his was. Ouch. Truth hurts, asshole. I had a perfectly good hand before he decided to make a comeback. It is fitting, then, that you make restitution for his crimes. Pentabus speaks truly. He suffered greatly during the rebellion, as did we all. He serves me now as both chronicler and sage. Within him, much of my wisdom rests. More players in the game. I was clearly getting in over my head. It is time for you to fulfill your purpose. I will be as direct with you as I can be. In the span of two hours, the abomination that you see above us will reach this palace and my control of the worlds will falter and will fall into its hands. Chaos, darkness, and the whim of the spheres Apostle Manon will rule all of my creation. I cannot stop it. It has established a foothold on one of the worlds, and that is allowing the sphere to draw closer. I have one last option to prevent the apocalypse from happening. Us, I said. You... Pentelus raised his staff up in the air, and moved it in slow circles. A pair of shimmering globes appeared and resolved to show two worlds. The globes grew in size until each took up a significant portion of the vaulted ceiling above us. The view began to zoom into land masses on each world, growing closer with each second. Do watch, he said. The ancient city, enormous and monolithic in construction, Surrounded by dense jungle was being pelted with hard rains and scoured by strong winds. Thunder rolled around above, and flashes of lightning lit up the ruined avenues and alleyways. Dark forms moved among the rubble. Some were humanoid in shape, and others more like beasts. They all howled with each peal of thunder, and beat madly upon the stone walls. They were being driven by something that seemed to speak only to them. In the middle of the city, under a crumbling ancient dome building supported by a ring of massive pillars... A woman knelt with her arms crossed against her chest in the center of the structure. 
Her face was tilted to the sky, and she was mouthing words that were lost on the wind. Her hood had fallen back on her shoulders, and her dark red hair was slick with the rain that fell on the city. As she spoke, the shadows in the chamber twisted and flowed like liquid, and moved over her. There were other forms there, each chained to one of the pillars. They were mere husks, drained of life and left to rot. They moved with the winds, lifting and falling like driftwood in a rushing river. But something else moved with the wind as well. It was like a stretched shadow that seemed to shorten and lengthen according to its own whim. A woman's face was visible once, and then it distorted to become a demon's visage. Sketches of claws, wings, and bones shifted throughout its length. It dropped and soared, moved around the perimeter of the ruins. It leapt up in a spiral above the structure, and for a moment there was almost a solid form, a cloaked being crying out in torment, its clawed hands tearing at its body. Then it dropped again, breaking apart and becoming the shadow that lurked and thrashed among the dead. Then the scene changed. Upon a great ocean that spanned the horizon, a single ship sailed south. Its sails unfurled and rudder steady. Underneath it, something dark and enormous rushed along with it, a speed that belied a grace only bestowed by the oceans, but could turn upon a whim into a force of destruction. The ship rose slightly higher, pulled along by the wake of such a power. The sail billowed and swelled. On it, a black orb surrounded by twisting black tendrils wavered and shifted into the wind. On the decks it was silent, save for the sound of the groaning rigging. Crimson stained the decks where men laid in the broken fashion in which they were slain, dusky-skinned men who had not seen death coming for them. A dozen bodies lay in succession from aft to fore. Standing on the foredeck, his dark hair stirring slightly in the air, was a man swathed in darkness. His bare chest was writhing with dark tendrils that reached to caress his naked limbs, neck, and face. The black orb, twin to the one on the sail, seemed to pulse as if it was his beating heart. His eyes were open, but they were empty and black. His grin was the only expression he wore, a row of pearly white tombstones that curved to disappear into blackness at the edges. He gazed upward and opened his arms, closing his hands into fists. His mouth opened and he howled in a voice with both his and another's, a human cry of defiance mixed with the hungry growl of something bestial and impatient sensing his prey. Chapter 24 Well, that's terrifying, Henry said. I looked down to see that my friends had been awakened during the horrifying glimpse Pentelus had given me of what was going on. Casey was rubbing at the side of her head with one palm and leaning on her other hand for support. I reached down and helped her up. Henry and Dacoum looked stunned, so we helped them to their feet. Couldn't agree with you more, Henry, I said. Casey gripped my arms. What the hell is going on? That was a damn good question. We all saw who was in the circle. Penny was at the center of the darkness, the linchpin that held the ritual together that was allowing the dark spirit to draw closer to us. Manon was using her to destroy us all. Worse still, she was being guarded by something that Manon had formed from pure darkness, a wraith that would be tough to overcome. I doubted that even the four of us had the kind of firepower necessary to do it. I'm going to need help to do this, I said. I need everyone. It's their fight, too. I pointed at the others chained on the wall. Let them loose. It would be unwise to do what you were asking. I know of your plan through Apostles' mind, and I doubt it will work. Drawing the darkness from all assembled here might give you a fighting chance, but I have reservations about possibly creating another Manon. I let go of Casey and walked up the stairs a few steps to give it my best shot. 
You took one hell of a risk trying to use the darkness in your plans to quicken the pace of your experiment. I'm going to attempt to turn that massive blunder to something useful. Pentelus frowned and looked at Sibelius, who also bore a look of concern. They don't know. Not even now. Of course not. Father doesn't want them to know what he did. Manon is our brother, as sickening as that is, but he has to be stopped. I need the same power he has to stop him. This is unknown to me. Aposto suddenly stood up. Gasping, he looked around at us and settled on Father. Thank you, Father, for rescuing me from mixed scheming at last. Henry stepped forward to join me, bring Casey up with him. He smirked at Apostles and winked. Well, that's gratitude for you, he murmured. We'll make sure he doesn't stray, Casey said. If he hesitates at any point, we'll find him and all. You could count on us to take him down. I turned to Henry and Casey, trying to look shocked. Thanks a lot. Well, between the four of us, think we can manage it, Henry said. But not both Manon and that circle, I interjected. If you're leaving it up to us, I suggest we send your ex-kingdom people with the others as insurance. Both Jack and Felker have good reason to stop that ritual. Father waved his hand, and everyone but he and I disappeared. Or we could try something else. Father grabbed me by the throat and picked me up off the floor. I have removed the audience for the time being. I know that you have learned of what happened between Manon and I, and I am aware of your talks with both Apostles and Lyconis. Did you really think he was yours to use as you see fit? Lyconis' arrogance has obviously been passed on to you. Do not try to raise your hand against me or to cause dissension among the remaining shepherds loyal to me. I do not require a reply, for anything other than utter acceptance will be a fatal error on your part. If you or yours raise a hand against me, I will not treat them with the mercy that I did at all. I will burn you to ashes if you fail, and I will take the gift that I gave each and every one of you and find more worthy vessels. I will take your consent as a gift. He let me go. I looked up from where I stood and saw Henry frowning at me, Casey tapping her foot. Father stood where he was, a quiet smile on his face. It was as if we had never left the room. Yeah, we all hate Manon, Casey said. So let's go put some holes in him. Okay, then. I'll need Apostos to drain the energy and put it in me, I said, nodding at Apostos. He marched down the steps, his head held high. Oh, I will help you, Mick, he said. But I am not your puppet anymore. He leaned in close and whispered. I am no one's puppet. I looked up at him. There was a strange look in his eyes, an almost human tension. He raised a hand, and the chains fell from Falkir, Jack, and Otomo. They moved over to join us. Julian and Nicholas followed at a distance. I saw Casey looking at Nicholas with a baleful glare, and took her hand. I led her to the other side of the group. Are you ready to do this? What if you're wrong? I squeezed her hand a little, and for a moment my confidence faltered. I wanted so much to live a normal life with Casey at my side. If something happened to her, this would all be for nothing. My home was with her, even if it was always while we were on the run. I'm not wrong, Casey. This is going to work, as long as you're prepared to do what you have to do. I am, she said. Just wish you'd come up with something less uh, suicidal. <laughs> I wish I did too. Apostles moved up to me and took my arm. Do exactly as I say, traveler. Of course, I... The palace shook underneath our feet. 
and I saw a fissure open in one of the marble arches. The energy flowing through the throne dimmed, and Father doubled over. Pedalus and Sibelius took a hold of him and led him back to the throne. Whatever you're going to do, do it now! Pentelus yelled at us. Apostos gathered the others in a circle around me, except for Valkyr. There is always one. What is this? You know what's at stake. He removed his kerchief and scarf, revealing his scarred face. He tossed them to the floor. Windflesh gave you your hand back. She used some of the darkness inside you. Now it's part of you. What do you suppose will happen to me? A man who was restored with darkness. Would you rip it out of me? You'd ever thought to bring this up before? I didn't really believe you'd go through with it. And I know you're not thinking about what will happen to people like me in the end. Jack looked over at Valkyr and grimaced. I'm up too. I draw strength from what's in me, and I'm going to need it all to get Penny back. Fine, I said. If you're not going to go after Manon, then he's not going to suck you dry like a darkness-filled Slurpee. Exactly, Jack said, stepping back to join Valkyr. The others took their places around myself and Apostos, who stood beside me. The light was growing dimmer in the palace. I looked up to see that the stars were almost all eclipsed. Do it, Apostos. Do it now. Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning into The Lost Tribe, Sins of the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep the story going.